I don't know what our topic's gonna be. We'll just we'll just do it live. We'll do it live. Alan Girding with the Tuesday Night Podcast. And with me, unfortunately, am I right, Sean? Is Sean. You're right. You're stuck with me. I am here. Yeah. And as always, we have Captain Chessbeard. Yeah. Unfortunately. So SBJ canceled on us again, uh, very reluctantly. So I definitely don't want listeners or Tuesday knaves, if you will, thinking that he's gone. It's just, he's really busy with a whole bunch of stuff. He took a trip to Atlanta recently and recorded some episodes on It's Super Effective. Which is number one in the video games on iTunes, I believe, right now. Yeah, he's totally uh, being the Pokemon guy. And I think he's lucky for it, really. He's just a big Pokemon fan and he does his podcast. It's really successful. So he's not available. <laughs> no, I think it's really good for him. Like, the iron's hot right now and he's been doing the prep work for the last three years when I'm sure people were like, really? Pokemon? Is anything going on with that? So he might as well ride the wave and, you know, just see how far he can get with this. Yeah, and to be clear, it's not like he isn't here because he's only playing Pokemon Go and only doing that podcast. It's because of his time at Atlanta and his time traveling and his time doing this that he has to do his real-life job, like work on our website, am I right? <sighs> so that's why he's not available. It's not that he hates us. I don't know. Yeah, so it's just you and me, awkwardly. Oh, yeah. Which really isn't special to me because I talk to you all the damn time. And, like, everything we would talk about on this show, you and I have talked about a billion times over. Yeah, so it's really special just when we get anyone in here, whether it be Quinn's or SBJ, because then we have someone to riff off of. But I talk to you more than anyone else on the phone. My logged phone hours are with you more than my partner, Crystal. Which is crazy because we don't talk as much on the phone now as we did like pre-Tooms at a Boom Kickstarter just because there was so much that we didn't know how to do. We had to sort of get each other's opinions about every little thing. I think now, two or three years in, we have a lot more mastery of our own domains. There's a lot farther you and I can take our own projects before having to check in again because we've done it before and there's a lot more trust built in. That kind of thing. In the beginning of our relationship, I remember we were talking till like three in the morning, like chatty Cathy's and Crystal was looking at me like I was crazy. Like, how are you, this guy who never really <laughs> uses his phone, talking to someone till three in the morning? And that was before I even had a smartphone. I was a late adopter of smartphones. And my first smartphone was horrible. Oh, I remember that phone. Oh, you hated that phone. So bad. And apparently when I finally upgraded to an iPhone, they said, oh, yeah, that phone just doesn't work because <laughs> it was so glitchy. It didn't detect my touch correctly and I couldn't open apps and it would take forever to answer a call. And then once I got my iPhone 5C, which is what I currently have right now, pretty much everything works almost all the time like it's supposed to. There's still a few hiccups now and then. Yarr! No one cares about your damn phone. Move on and talk about something more important. You know what we should talk about? What's that? We're preparing for Gen Con. Mm -hmm. Our event that's selling out quickly, which is two of them. We have the live podcast that we're doing with SBJ. In front of a live audience, listeners should sign up for that. But also, 
the World Championship Russian Roulette Tournament with mad prizes that we're giving away for those winners. Yeah. If you go to TuesdayNightGames.com slash events, all these are listed on there um, with links to where you can register. We've got World Championship Russian Roulette Entry Rounds, the Finals, the Tuesday Night Podcast, all that sort of stuff with handy-dandy links to the Gen Con website. SBJ just got that up and running, so you should check out our new events page, TuesdayNightGames.com. Mr. Pop. <laughs> Please excuse this interruption of the Tuesday Night Podcast for this board gaming breaking news. Two monsters of the hobby gaming industry are Asmodee and the F2Z Entertainment Group. Asmodee Group is a leading international games publisher and distributor. Asmodee's best-known titles are that of Catan, Ticket to Ride, Splendor, Star Wars X-Wing, Seven Wonders, Dixit, Timeline, a whole bunch of games. The other monster is F2Z Entertainment. It is a publisher and distributor of modern board games. It has already acquired Z-Man Games, Plaid Hat Games, Philosophia, and is best known for publishing games such as Pandemic Legacy, Dead of Winter, Mice and Mystics, Carcassonne in French and English, and even Catan. Now these two monsters normally would be fighting with one another, but Asmodee Group announced recently that it has entered into exclusive discussions to acquire F2Z. This puts Asmodee at the front line to strengthening its intellectual property portfolio. Closing of this acquisition is expected to take place in the coming months. Now, we take you back to your regularly scheduled Tuesday Night Podcast. Roger was his name. Schizophrenic as the day is long, but that's my prison story. Enough about me. Let's talk about games, Sean. It's time for the tabletop. Have you played anything this week, Sean? I've been playing a lot of Go, and we playtested uh, Combat in Nullhack this week. Oh, because last week it was just character creation, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. This time it was combat. Now, was it combat with NPCs or combat PC versus PC? Uh, it was PvE. Player versus environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it was against NPCs. The setup was uh, they were hired to wipe out this gang of nomads, um, which are these like biker dudes that were hanging out in this junkyard. And so I dropped them on like a junk dune um, near a parking structure. There were some barrels that were on fire for lighting, a whole party going on. I want to give them, give them a lot of objects to interact with. Um, although it was funny because uh, MK, one of my players, one of my best players, it's like he knows we're playtesting combat, but the first thing he does is immediately is like, well, I'm going to go talk to them and see if we could sort this out. <laughs> it was just like, he couldn't help but like role play. Yeah, he wanted to actually play the game. He wanted to play the game. Which is a compliment, man. I think so, yeah. And how'd it go? Did they find it favorable? It all worked. Um, there were things I didn't like. Like one, it wasn't a great playtesting environment because uh, there were some like extra social factors going on, uh, which like did not help the situation. Talking about divorce? No. Two of my players have a new puppy. They've been bringing the puppy up to hang out with us. And, you know, they usually, like, ask, like, hey, would you mind? And it's, like, never a problem. But the puppy's been getting really yappy, pooped on the floor at the office. That's tough to deal with. And, like, it's we're all trying to, like, play just this game. Oh, like, three people were, like, super, super late. So, like... It was not the best playtesting environment. I think you more than anyone knows how, like, important a good playtesting environment was. But we got started, 
at like 10.30 and stopped at like 11.30, which is like a good playtest round, but it wasn't like an energetic, excited one. It was like, all right, what do you guys want to do? And people were like, well, I guess I'll, I guess we'll go check out the thing in the parking structure. And she's like, all right, cool. It was still plenty for me to learn from, to like tweak stuff. Right. But it just wasn't an ideal environment. No. You're like me. You feed off of enthusiasm. Definitely. And if you're feeling the room and you don't feel a lot of enthusiasm, it's really tough to play a game, let alone your game that you've designed. I almost wait for the perfect storm of elements before I want to put one of my own games in front of players. Wait, nope. They're not in a great mood or, uh uh-oh, someone is a sandbagger in our group right here. I'll just kind of put it off. It's basically like trying to tell your parents bad news as a kid. You're just waiting upstairs, stressed out about it. Like, when do I tell them? I don't know. Dad just got home from work and he may beat my ass. I gotta wait until commercial break in his best sitcom when he's in a great mood. That's how I feel when I try to play test my own games. It has to be perfect. So my heart goes out to you. I know that it's tough to get people to really respond, Especially if there isn't at least one person saying, yeah, let's do this. Let's play the <laughs> game. Sean, shut up. Put put it on the table. I want to see it. So I might do some smaller playtest sessions with just a few people. One of my players, Nick uh, Reed, uh, does a, he read through the whole rule book and he started breaking characters immediately, like in a good way. He was saying, hey, if you take two builds of Shinobi and three builds of Nomad, you can use the Nomad's level three ability to pick up this runner ability, and then you actually get triple blah, 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 which was great to hear because, like, I wanted to be able to find those broken places and not patch them, but just massage them. Like, pe- players like finding broken combos. I think that's what keeps Magic the Gathering going. And the trick is just not to make them game-breaking, but to make them good synergistic combos that you have to find. You know, like you're a big uh, Ascension player, Soulforge player, and you're great at finding little synergies between cards that, you know, give you more than if you were just like, oh, you know, I'll play, you know, just whatever cards I can think of. That really rewards players who think like that. Yeah. Some of my favorite games are games where a character seems totally broken just on paper, but every single character is broken in that way. But when you have every single character having these broken abilities, it really works together. And that's what kind of got me excited when I started reading your characters on Null Hack. Oh yeah, this sounds kind of broken. Oh, this kind of sounds broken too. But if Nick found like another level of broken, that's no bueno. Exactly. In a game like this, you want to feel like your character's really cool and can do really cool things. To preserve that experience, I think it's really fun role-playing games. Sean, this is the only thing I want you to do. Okay. This is it. I want you to elevator pitch Null Hack. <laughs> I actually had a kind of funny idea for this. Okay. Um, but it might take a little bit of work. Um, Let's hear it. I thought it would be funny if I elevator pitched Null Hack as Robocop, but then went in and edited my audio to where I was like, okay, now I'm not super good at this, but your move, creep. And then I just turn on all these vocal effects so it sounds like exactly like Robocop and has like this digital thing and people are like, what the hell is going on there? I just thought of it the other week and I thought it would be really funny. Okay, um, well, I'll tell you what. I will do a piss poor job of editing your voice to sound like Robocop, so you are Robocop pitching Null Hack, and when you're ready, just say, ding me, SBJ. Ding me, SBJ. Welcome to the future. In Null Hack, you'll be adding Robocop and mix them with elements of Call of Cthulhu. You'll be adding cybernetic limbs to your characters and 
Will you be able to level up and take over your part of the metropolis before easy from the wires infesting your brains? Only you can decide. Pick from one of eight classes, or builds as we call them, and level up your shinobi, or mecher, or runner in this world of death, robotics, destruction, and just awful. Oof. Just awful. <laughs> just the worst. You stated that? You really I think that's why you don't like doing elevator pitches is you're too hard on yourself. You're really good at them, man. You got to give Thanks, yourself man. more credit. And you must always come in well under a minute for sure. That's the hardest part. Yeah, is like you got to really get in there and be like, this is just a pitch. This is just like the bare bones. This is what's going on, you know? Yeah. Here is what was missing from the pitch that I think is really important to emphasize is what happens if your character goes crazy, Sean? I think, yeah, the, you're totally right. One of the big differentials between this and a lot of other games is, well, it's a very lethal game since it takes place in the sci-fi future. It's very easy to come back to life. But every time you keep coming back to life, you have to make these breakdown checks. And eventually when you fail them by a wide enough margin, your character just goes crazy and becomes an NPC generally hell-bent on destroying the PCs. So this character that you've built up now becomes a monster and a big monster. So you're rolling up a new character and the people you've joined are now taking down this person that used to be their friend, which I just think is a fun thing we haven't really explored characters actually becoming bad guys in games. So here's the horrible thing, Sean, and I hope you realize this. This is now three episodes in which we've discussed Null Hack. That means the game has to be made. And I just listened to this in NPR. <laughs> oh, no, it was TED Talk. Sorry. One of the geeky freaking podcasts that I listen to. But when someone verbalizes what they're going to do, it actually decreases the chance that they'll do it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of people think it's the other way around because then you're held accountable to what you verbalize to other friends. Like if you say, yeah, I'm totally going to train for a marathon and I'm going to be running the marathon in, you know, three months time. But by doing that, you've decreased the chances because the satisfaction you get from actually accomplishing it, you get from saying it to your friends. And the way they did this research is they had the control group where they had people just do a task and write it down, like what they're going to do. And then they just went ahead and did it. And then the experimental group was a group of individuals that told each other what they were going to do. And then they went ahead and did it. And the completion rate was hugely significant on the control group over the experimental group. So, Sean, you've been teasing Null Hack. Are we going to publish this baby or have the PDF available on our website or something? Yeah, I think we should get the PDF available on the website. I think with an RPG, it's better to grow slowly. This, I don't think, will be a 500-page, hardbound, full-color, illustrated RPG. Instead, I think it'll harken back to more like the little white books with D&D, just a few 36-page booklets, you know, and if people like it, then we'll build on it from there. But I think one of the big things, too, is that, like, there are more games on the cutting room floor than games we come out with. And, you know, we don't release a ton of games to begin with, unless you're talking about wallet games, which we release a ton. There are going to be a lot of games sitting by the wayside, and I don't think we're afraid of that, of, like, a game that's like, yeah, this game had a lot of cool stuff, but ultimately it didn't come together, so we're not going to use it. I think that's actually the things you say no to oftentimes are more important than the things you say yes to. Yeah. Yeah. What did you play this week? Well, I played a bunch of stuff per usual, but I only want to talk about one because on my Tuesday night gathering of friends, we played Escape the Room Mystery at Stargazer's Manor. 
for BK's birthday. That's right. Yeah, for BK's birthday. It's from Think Fun, and it's for like ages 10 and older. And it's a time game because it's one of those crazy escape rooms, but it's in a box. So you just have to have a table. You open the box, you set the timer, and then go. You have to figure out these mysteries, these puzzles, and it's amazing. What I need from you now, Sean, is who am I? You are a little girl. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I have to do this without insulting little girls, too. Sure. Can I just say in advance that I respect all people, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to pitch it as a little annoying girl. You could have given me something way more inappropriate, so I'll just try to do little girl. But I'm going to summon my teen girl squad for this one. (laughs) Ding me, SBJ. Hi! Thanks for coming into this elevator. I'm going to pretend we're trapped. Oh, no. You see, this elevator used to be owned by an astronomer. It's the Stargazer's elevator. And now we're trying to figure out where the astronomer went. He disappeared. Oh, but while we're looking for him, we get stuck in his room. Now we have envelope after envelope. Each of them are sealed. And we can't open one until we figure out the puzzle. Yay! And if we don't figure out the puzzle, then we have to open up the envelope that basically says, You lose! Oh god, my throat. No! That would be horrible! So, the time's ticking, we've got to solve this mystery, and escape this manor, and figure out what happened to the astronomer before time runs out! Speaking of which, time's up! Not bad. Yeah. Was it difficult? It has the age 10 years and older on it. It was difficult enough to keep us going. We had a time limit of an hour and a half because we had eight players. So depending on how many players you have, the time limit changes. And we wrote down how quickly we completed the game. And we completed the game in 43 minutes and 23 seconds. Boom. Official time. Not bad. The challenge is out there, Tuesday Knaves. If you pick up Escape the Room, Mystery of Stargazer's Manor, see if you can beat 43 minutes and 23 seconds. Was it too difficult? It was not too difficult. Was it too easy? I don't think it was too easy. It's just a matter of getting through them in time because you could eventually figure them out. Let me tell you the worst part about the game first. Here's the worst part about the game. We opened up the second to last envelope and in it was just basically another envelope and there was no scene card because every time you open up an envelope... Not only are there like puzzle pieces, but there is a card that you read to the entire group that furthers the story and tells you what's going on and gives you some clues as to the next puzzle. It was missing in the last second to last envelope. The last little card that we would have was gone, but we didn't know that because we're already like 30 minutes into the game. We're like, is there anything else in there? No, there's nothing else in there. What the crap? And we still figured out the puzzle. But then after the game, after we beat it, we looked it up online. We're like, yeah, totally missing a card here. And they actually, ThinkFun has this form that you can fill out to request missing parts. But let's explore how ridiculous that is, Sean. Because how do you know that the game's missing parts? It comes with sealed envelopes. (laughs) So the only way you'd know that you were missing parts 
is if you already opened all the damn envelopes to look inside. So that's the worst thing I can say about the game. Yeah, that's pretty dumb dumb. It's really bad. And I think we were fortunate enough that it was the last scene card that was missing. The other bad thing I'll say about the game is that it says three to eight players. I understand the eight player cap. I'm not sure why it has a three player minimum besides the fact that the story references the players in a plural form. Like, you all are doing this. So maybe you could have two players and that would still work. And maybe you just give more time. I'm not sure why, because they basically break it into two time segments. Could you play single player? You absolutely could. And maybe you give yourself a little bit bonus time. The reason this transforms into a criticism is that with eight players, definitely in the beginning, some players had their thumbs up their butt. There's not enough room around the table and there's not enough puzzles going on at once where everyone can be involved. So there's some grabby people that are just trying to figure out the puzzle. In fact, I will say like right away, the first envelope I was trying to open up without damaging the envelope because I knew I'd maybe want to reseal this and gift it to someone else later on so they can see if they can beat it in better time. And then it was grabbed from me so that someone else could open it. Like, here, I'll open it because you're taking too long opening it. And then they took a really long time to open it. And I even said, hey, thanks for taking the envelope away so you could open it. (laughs) It was ridiculous. But that is evidence of what the problem may be. It really depends on your group. Now, the good stuff is this. Now that I said the bad, let me tell you the good. I can't recommend this enough because it left an unforgettable evening, and that is the whole point of games. You know me and why I love games. They're just there to be the magic ingredient that facilitates unforgettable experiences, and this was exactly that. As we went deeper into the game, there were more envelopes, and then there were different things we could go and do at different times. One group was working on one puzzle while another group was working on another puzzle while like a third faction was looking through all the residual components. And the coolest puzzle by far was the last one because the last puzzle without spoiling any plots basically makes it that you have to look over all the other puzzles again to make sure you find these hidden little parts to complete it. Just because you finish one puzzle doesn't mean that you won't use the parts for it later on. Unforgettable. And I asked everyone what they thought. It was great. Our one player, Ben Canellis, wants to challenge SBJ. So I'm bummed SBJ is not on this episode because Ben Canellis is like, boom, I want SBJ to take it from us at Gen Con. And I want to see if he can do it with his group quicker than we did it with ours. So Ben Canellis wants to throw the gauntlet down in SBJ's face. I'm sure SBJ will hear that because he listens to the podcast. Yeah, yeah. I think you would have a lot of fun too. Again, the only negatives I can really see are definitely if it has missing components and can everyone be involved. I think I would have capped it instead of eight players at six. If I saw someone wasn't really involved, I would give them the scene cards to read, which is an easy task. And sure enough, as they're reading the scene cards, everyone's just constantly working on puzzles. But... It really injected this idea in our group that we thought, hey, let's go do a real escape room now. So we all want to get together and do a real escape room. Nice. Yeah, it's cool. So where can our listeners find you, Alan? You can find me on Overwatch. I'm Alan, hashtag 11775. You can find me on the tweets. 
I'm at Alan Gerding. That's spelled A-L-A-N-G-E-R. Ding! And I'm also on the Facebook. I'm pretty lonely. I accept almost any friend request there. Name's Alan Gerding. How about you, Sean? You can find me on Twitter at Sean McCoy. That's S-E-A-N-M-C-C-O-Y. And what if they want to follow or contact the podcast, Sean? They should follow at PlayTKG. As always, our website is TuesdayNightGames.com. And I think you can email us at podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. All right. Well, I think that's it. Nice, quick, tight one. Awkward as it was with just you and me, Sean, I think this episode is... Finished! <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs>